people do business with people they like and it beats the price and it beats the product because people will choose the person they want to work with because they trust that they'll take care of them. And so they're willing to pay a little bit more for that, or they're willing to sacrifice something on the product for that relationship. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have Michelle Tillis Letterman with us, and we're going to talk about the connector's advantage, how to get what you want. And by way of uh, introduction, Michelle is a connection creator and the CEO of Executive Essentials, which is a company that provides customized communication and leadership programs. She's also one of Forbes' top 25 networking experts and the author of four books, including the internationally known The 11 Laws of Likeability. And her latest book is The Connector's Advantage. Uh, Michelle regularly appears on top media outlets, um, and, uh, and, and I'm really glad to have her on the show today. Um, welcome, Michelle. Thanks for having me. So, Michelle, in your book, The 11 Laws of Likeability, you explain why relationship networking is so important for success. And in your latest book, The Connector's Advantage, you reveal how connections are really the key to getting what you want. First, tell me, what, what are the differences between connecting and networking? I love that you asked that question. My brother-in-law asked me that when I was finishing up The Connector's Vantage, he walked to my office, he was like, well, what's the difference? Because he said, well, another book about networking. I'm like, no, this one's about connecting and it's about being a connector. And when he asked me the question, I, I had to think about it and I said to him, well, networking is something that you do, but a connector, that's who you are. And when we think about that difference, when we talked about the first book, The 11 Laws of Likeability, it's what we do before, during, and after a conversation to enable connection and to understand how connection forms. But the connector's advantage is about the mindsets of somebody who prioritizes relationships in everything that they do and how that is advantageous in all aspects of life. Well, I, I hope that by the end of this conversation, I feel like I'm both likable and a connector and a networker, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> We're all likable. And that's actually, you know, a really important point to be made is that we are all likable, but we're not all likable for the same reasons. And you can't make anybody like you, but you can enable them to see what's likable about you. And, and that's, that's the most we can hope for. Yeah, that's, that's about all we got, right? I mean, <laughs> so, um, well, tell me why, why are relationships and connections critical to getting results, having success, and even your happiness in life? So I love statistics, so I'm going to throw some statistics at you because it doesn't matter what you're working on. And I surveyed almost a thousand people when developing the mindsets of this book and thinking about what it is they're working on. The top five things were getting a new job or a promotion, uh, landing a client, starting a business, health and happiness. Um, you know, and it was just 
the same types of things. There are statistics behind each and every one of these that show you why relationships have impact. And the health and happiness are the ones that are most shocking. But we know that you are more likely to get a job if you are referred into that job. 90% at the executive level of jobs come from networking. 85% at any level. It's not that big a difference. But you are not going to get it from the online job search. You're going to get it because somebody said, you know, you should interview this person. With a promotion, it's not that different. You are 70% more likely to get a promotion if you have an active mentor relationship. So that relationship in helping you build and develop is a catalyst for promotion. When it comes to making the sale or landing the client, right? So that's who we're talking to. We're talking to field sales reps right now. And your number one thing that you are working on is landing that client, serving that client, making that client happy, keeping that client, expanding the business with that client. Well, uh, when it comes to landing a client, people do business with people they like. And it beats the price and it beats the product because people will choose the person they wanna work with because they trust that they'll take care of them. And so they're willing to pay a little bit more for that or they're willing to sacrifice something on the product for that relationship. And people trust referrals. So all those relationships that you have with your clients are exponentially valuable because when you have a referral, that person is four times more likely to buy. So it's all about the relationship. And now I'll get to the fun ones, right? So those are ones you probably knew about, right? I mean, they're intuitive, but I, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I have them on the top of my head like this. This is super valuable. I, I'm a uh, recovering CPA, so numbers <laughs> are my jam. <laughs> you can take the girl out of accounting, but you can't take the accounting out of the girl. Uh, but the ones around health and happiness are the ones that really s stunned me. That you actually have, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Gallup 12. Gallup did an engagement survey and they came down with 12 questions that really predict um, productivity and engagement at work. And one of the questions was, do I have a best friend at work? Which I thought was a fascinating uh, you know, question determining engagement and productivity at the job. But the truth is you will boost your happiness on the job and improve productivity by 50% if you've got close work relationships that you want to be around those people. Uh, you know, and it's interesting in the in the um, in the world of sales because you're constantly going out and building new relationships, but it's the in between, right? That 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 looking forward to that little moments of connection that that can make you feel more engaged in the job. Like I'm looking forward to seeing that client will make a difference in your productivity and health. So out of Brigham Young University, there was a researcher. Uh, Julian Holt Lundstad, and she um, looked at loneliness and social isolation. And it had an equal impact on your mortality as obesity. And social isolation actually has a greater impact on your mortality than if you had smoked, I think it's 10 cigarettes a day for 15 years, or it's 15 cigarettes a day for 10 years. Those numbers get mixed up in my head. <laughs> but is that crazy? I mean, you know, you can smoke. And, you know, you can eat, but as long as you've got relationships, you'll have better longevity. Uh, I mean, that makes a ton of sense right now. I mean, and, and, and for perspective, for listeners, it's now mid-May 2020. So we're in the, we're, we're in the, the, the midst of our stay-at-home orders. And uh, I think there's probably a lot of people who are, who 
live alone or even live with other people, but just are really suffering from lack of relationships right now. And I, I would imagine that's affecting their, their mental health and physical health as well. It's, you know, it's, it's fascinating how it's impacting the corporate world, because on the one hand, as we connect in these environments where everyone sees into our homes, uh, we become more empathetic and we become more understanding of the fullness of our lives um, and that they're not, you know, they're not uh, able to always be boxed off into these different, you know, times of day. You are, you are always all of these things. Um, but on the other hand, it is creating a disconnection. Twitter just, uh, no, was it Twitter? Just announced that people can stay working from home forever if they want. Mm -hmm. um, but there is that, they miss the camaraderie of just being in the presence of other people. It does something for us to just not always be in the, in the box at home. Yeah, yeah, I read that that announcement by Twitter, and I was like, God, what a what a bleak thought. To, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I, would, I mean, for me, working from home, um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably just, I can do it, and I'm probably just as effective. You know, Badger's already across four offices around the world, right? Like Asia and the Europe, and two in America, and so I'm already used to like doing a lot of stuff over the phone, slashing video calls, and and the company, the company in general is because we're so spread out. But, um, so I don't know if it costs me that much effectiveness in terms of like getting stuff done. But, uh, for me, it's, uh, it definitely, I feel like it really hits us on the relationship part and the camaraderie and just like the enjoyment of, uh, like I, I enjoy going to the office. I mean, these are people that I have worked with for years and I'm friends with them and we, we have fun together and, you know, being locked in my little, my little room here is less fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you just said it because, you know, it drains our energy, it reduces our focus, and those things do impact our productivity and how we feel on the job. Because when you have that energy and you're feeling like you enjoy the environment you're in, you will have a different product and, and level of productivity. So even though we don't always necessarily quantify it, it it's there. Yeah, there's something, it's kind of like how we have a foosball table in the office. There's just something <laughs> energizing about going and you know, playing foosball for 10 minutes with, with a friend in the middle of the day. And now I kind of feel like I need a nap by five o'clock. <laughs> Normally, like, I, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't get tired until 1am. But now it's like at five, I'm like, I really need to lay down. This is, yeah. I'm just for just for 20 minutes, but I'm tired. <laughs> I took my lunch breaks and worked on a jigsaw puzzle with my son. And then I was like, Oh, man, I never ate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, a lot of the a lot of the rhythms are tricky in these in these circumstances. The um, so when did you realize the importance and 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 how beneficial these connections were? I mean, you obviously wrote a book about it. So when when uh, when did this kind of did was there a moment where this struck you, or did it, was this more of a researching process? Um, it was a life process. So. In working on the first book, it, it, it came out of two reasons. One was I had built a business and my first client was JP Morgan and my second client was Deutsche Bank and Morgan Stanley was somewhere in the top five. And so I was landing name brand clients. I've worked with Madison Square Garden and with Sony, with Target. I mean, I've worked with clients all over and people are like, how did you do that? And so I wrote the book actually to explain how I think and and how i i built it and i built it through relationships and in doing that uh, and the reason i took an angle of likability was because i 
never thought I was likable. <laughs> you seem pretty likable to me, Michelle. <laughs> you know, what, what I mean by that is I was kind of polarizing. You know, people liked me or they hated me, but there wasn't a lot of in between. I wasn't neutral. And I wanted to understand what it was that I was doing that was causing people to go one direction or the other. And, and so that's kind of how the first book evolved. And, and then when I started to, to live the work, I started seeing such a difference in my results. And it started to make me understand that this mindset, this, the mindsets that we will talk about, um, has such a huge impact on anything that you're working on. Those, those you know, I, I, call, I just call them results, right? Because it could be anything. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So I got a gift of a laptop for my birthday. My birthday is December 20th. So I had to deal with all of those holiday return policies where you can't return anything past January 15th when that's not typical. And so uh, my husband kept on saying, you gotta try this new computer to see if you like it. If you don't like it, we need to return it. And it was probably like January like 13th and I tried it for a few days. I'm like, yeah, I don't like it, let's return it. So I didn't remember or know that there was these policies in place. I figured I had at least you know, a month to return something. And I go to Best Buy on January 18th and they're like, yeah, it's past the date. And so, you know, you think about being in that situation and you've got a couple options. All right, I'm taking this laptop, I'm stuck. Option number two, I wanna speak to your manager and you kind of throw a little hissy fit. Mm -hmm. And option number three, what I did. <laughs> I said, I know, um, but well, actually it's not a return. I kind of want to do an exchange. So, you know, and, and he's like, I can't do anything. I, I know, is there anybody who could? And he's like, well, I can get my manager. I said, that would be great. But can you tell him I was really nice? Because anytime <laughs> somebody asks for a manager, the manager's coming over braced. Mm -hmm. And I'm often asking for a manager so I can compliment somebody. And they always come over like ready for the fight. And then they completely relax and are disarmed when I say, I just want to, I'll tell you what an amazing you know, salesperson you've got here. So I want them to come in, not braced for it. So he comes over and he goes, you know, it's past the date, right? And I said, I know. I, I said, but what if you could make it happen? You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like do you have the, the magic powers? You know, and I just, I made him laugh and I was friendly and I said, and, and we had a conversation and he's like, well, which, which laptop are you looking at? I said, well, this is the one I would want. And if I could exchange it, I would buy this one and I would do it right now. And I said, oh, and by the way, did I mention I actually need a new iPhone too? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think happened? I was able to return the laptop, get the new laptop. A week later, I came in, waved to the manager saying, I'm getting my new iPhone. And it was a wonderful experience. And I've shared that story and, and I've gotten out of late fees from the credit card company because you take this approach. So I'm not just talking about getting the client. I'm talking about getting whatever you want in your life. You will see when you take this approach that you will have what I call the, the connector's advantage. Do you, and uh, you know, what, what jumped to mind was like, you know, images of the, you know, all the, all the Karen memes that float around. What, one of the girls in our, in our office was a, was a, uh, was Karen for Halloween, in fact. But, Karen? Uh, Karen, it's the, con you know, the concept of like, uh, 
a really entitled middle-aged white woman who screams uh, screams at employees and asks for their manager. Oh, <laughs> I'm not familiar <laughs> with the memes. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's popular with the youth. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I think I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's uh, it's it's definitely like uh, it's it's aimed at like people that are my age or older and it's some it's it, you know the, it's something a 25 year old would say about a 45 year old woman They're like oh you're being such a karen oh gosh um, i think there's a male <laughs> version too i don't know what that name is but... i'm glad they don't call it a michelle <laughs> <laughs> right um, but uh, are, are there gender issues here are there are there things that, that do you think that these likability laws and and these concepts and like ways of behavior are, are, are different for men and women. Have you explored that? No, um, you know, I think there's differences in the way men and women communicate for sure. Uh, and I, I do a whole thing on that as well. But when it comes to the mindsets of a connector, it is a mindset. It, and the way in which you implement that mindset is about you. When it comes to the laws of likability, these are theories like the law of authenticity. How you are you is up to you. So those are not gender specific. How you implement them is, is very individualized. In, in, uh, in your latest book, book uh, you describe a whole spectrum of connectors. Um, can you explain the spectrum and how that works? Yes, okay. So when we think about the connector spectrum, we are on it somewhere. And I think I shared with you right before we started, I actually have a quiz for people to figure out where they fall on the spectrum, and we'll put that link in the show notes. Uh, but the idea is that there's probably very few people out there that are non-connectors. They don't believe in the value of relationships. They wouldn't even be listening to this show. So <laughs> yeah, most, most field salespeople are definitely going to fall squarely in the, in the connector zone, I would guess. Yes. So we're going to just pretend that the, the non-connector doesn't exist. The first stage on, on the spectrum is an emerging connector. This is somebody who believes in the value of it, but just hasn't built the skills and the confidence to be um, implementing it on any regularity. When we think about there's two levers as we kind of come up the spectrum, the first lever is to initiate or to respond. If you are responding to people asking for help, if you're responding to people asking to connect, you're what we call a responsive connector. You are actively engaging in connection, but only when somebody else is initiating it. When you start to initiate, hey, here's somebody I think you should know, or here's something I can do, or hey, would you like to this? Um, or I'm reaching out to connect with somebody, or can you introduce me to that person? That's the initiation. Now you are an acting connector. You want to be both responsive and initiating. And an acting connector is a great place to be. And I would venture to guess that most of the people listening to this are at least an acting connector. And um, when we think about the second lever, that's when we kind of get to what I call the upper echelons of connecting. So the, the first lever is respond or initiate. The second lever is the breadth and depth. So when we go depth, so whatever field you're in, you know everybody in that industry, right? I know everybody in medical device sales. I know everybody in real estate law. I know everybody in this geographic region. I know everybody in this function of HR, right? So it's what we call a niche connector. You've got a depth 
in some either industry, geography, or function. When you have breadth, that's when you become a super connector. So you have breadth up and down the hierarchy. You have depth across, uh, breadth across industry and across geography. You know, everyone from like the CEO to the, to the janitor. And when you actually cross your country's borders, that's when you can be a global super connector or even a global niche connector, right? Because you can know everybody in PR all over the globe. It's still a niche. So those are the levels of connection. And you've talked about, a, you know, you've got this quiz that salespeople can figure out what level of connector they're at. Say they come back as a, at one level, what does it take or what advice would you give them for them to level up and get to the next level? So we, we just talked about what those levers are, right? And so depending on if you are somebody who is not initiating, well, that's a very easy lever to pull. Just start putting yourself out there. And what I would say when you're lower down on the spectrum is think about how can I help this person? And I always say, just ask one question. At the end of every conversation, you know, what are you working on right now? Or who would you like to meet? Or how could I help you? Any of those questions will get you in the mindset of how you can add value to somebody else. And that will enable you to initiate adding that value or initiate making an introduction. When you're higher up on the spectrum, then you're really thinking about how do I broaden? How do I make sure that I'm surrounding myself with people that are not like me? And one of the tricks I talk about is when you go to live events, which hopefully we will be at by the time this airs, <laughs> um, I always say, look for the per person in the room that looks out of place or look for the person in the room that looks like they could use um, somebody to kind of reach out to them. Because you know the people who kind of are already there that are comfortable in that space, you know, make a beeline for the person who, uh, you know, and be a greeter. You know, hey, have you been here before? Well, and, and you start to meet people who you wouldn't just normally meet. You are being um, welcoming, right? And you're kind of giving a lifeline to somebody else and you might be surprised who you meet. I've met a lot of people that way. <laughs> and it's a concept that I call, um, in, in the last section of the book, I talk about how to diversify your connections. And it's about being an inclusive networker. We want to broaden the people that we know because you never know who knows who and the broader your network, the faster you can get an answer to whatever you're trying to get. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a tremendous life skill, I'd say, for, for people in business and especially salespeople. What are the connectors' seven mindsets that you, you talk about and how can salespeople apply these mindsets and behaviors to their interactions. Okay. So I'll give you the seven mindsets and then maybe you can pick one or two and we'll, we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Okay. Um, all right. Let's, I'm going to count them off to make sure I remember them all. Connectors are open and accepting. They have a clear vision. They trust. They are social and curious. They uh, believe in abundance. They have a generous spirit and they are conscientious, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> Okay. But I hit seven. <laughs> oh, great. Well, let's dive into generous and conscientious. Those, those two jump out at me as being interesting. And what's interesting about it is they kind of go hand in hand. And these are not linear. They don't work in isolation. They enable each other. So when we think about being conscientious, um, connectors do what they say they're going to do. 
right? They follow up, they follow through. They have, you know, and that plays off the trust, right? They're trusting and the trustworthy. Um, so when you are a connector, you have to be careful about what you're willing to say yes to <laughs> um, and be okay saying no. And one of the things I talk about in the book is how do we say yes and how do we say no? Because to be conscientious, you have to create boundaries. And for me, I'm often asked to be on a show like this or I'm asked to give a talk and not always do they have a budget. And so I have a pro bono calendar. I love to give back and I love to, you know, get out there and uh, especially those live events that I miss so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'd, but, I'd, I'd pay to go speak at a live event right now. They don't have to pay, <laughs> they don't have to pay me. <laughs> But what happens is I could be out there speaking for free every day of the week and I still got two kids to put through college. So I had to kind of create a criteria of what will I say yes to and what will I say no to? And that's what I mean by creating boundaries so that we have clarity because saying no is hard. And one of the things I talk about is that yes and no are not one word answers. You can say yes if or yes when or yes with or yes after. Or you can say no but. And I love the no but because no but here's who could help you or no but I'm happy to help you identify somebody in that price point or no but if you can get this many people um, and you include a book purchase, then I can get you to a yes, right? So I always want the no to be no with some other way that I can either help you or no with some way you can get to a yes. Yeah, one of my early sales mentors, um, he taught me that everything in sales, you can kind of think of in terms of a, when you're working with a, a prospect, it's a give to get, right? So it's always yes if or no but, or, you know, so it's always, I will do this if you do this. And, and if you kind of think about even things like, you know, yeah, I can get you that, that, uh, that, that information. Do you think you could get your, you know, your, the, the decision maker on the phone call when I present it to you? Um, things like that. So everything's just, it's all a series of little trades and you should always a be A lot of if-then statements, right? Yeah, exactly. Series, of, lots of little trades that, that get you to uh, kind of help move the ball downfield because both people are in, engaging and being involved and, and giving something to the interaction. You know, and, and as I think about your audience and I think about um, the, the yes and the if-then, sometimes the if then becomes a bit of gamesmanship, right? And we don't want to overuse that framework. So one of the things that we want to do is just try to get momentum from a yes. And to, to these are different sales techniques. And I'm not a sales expert by any means, but, uh, but I have taught some, some sales programs because really sales is just about communication and it's about relationship. And if you think about, when somebody starts giving you a nod this way, they keep going this way. But as soon as they start going this way, they keep going this way. And it's what so you true. can't see if you're only listening is that I'm nodding my head yes and I'm nodding my head no. And so you want to find the thing that they can say yes to. And you know, let's go back to that store uh, where they said, no, you can't return this. When you have a customer who's saying something and your answer in your head is, no, I cannot do that we want to always think about framing the language in what we can do so we can get the up and down nod. So it's not, no, we can't. It's here's what we could do and offer them 
what action you can take and always keep things in that framework because that keeps the head nodding in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great way to think about it. it w- what if we could do this? <laughs> what if you could do that? <laughs> well, that's exactly what I did to the, the, the manager. I said, but what if you could make an exception? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just laughed. I'm like, but, but I think you have the magic powers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you're a sales rep, maintaining a... You know, be, be obviously, field sales is a time-consuming and demanding role. Maintaining a, a, this large network of connections and, and doing people favors all the time, you know, it's, it seems like it's going to be really time-consuming. How, how can a salesperson keep these connections fresh and authentic and, and, and do this without it devouring their schedule? Okay. This is a really big topic and there's so many places we can take this. And I actually have a a whole section on how we can find time in the book. Um, And Dory Clark, who many of you might've heard of, also written many books. She actually contributed like an exercise for people to kind of think about, um, you know, within this topic. Um, One of the things I will say is about finding time. There's a lot of what I call underutilized time in our day. And I don't mean downtime because I think downtime is sacred. I mean underutilized time where we could be doing two things, right? So if we're driving, we can listen to an audiobook or we can be on a phone call. If we're commuting, I, I bet about half the people listen. No, eighty percent of the people listening to this right now are behind the wheel because <laughs> these right. are field salespeople, right? So they're they're behind the wheel all the time. And we're always on the phone, so um, that time can be uh, repurposed right? That, um, that time right after you eat where you're kind of in food coma can be repurposed. So thinking about the things that you already do. So for example, I've had business meetings at the gym. Um, I've had business meetings getting my nails done. I've had business meetings at the dog park. Uh, you know, so think about the things that you're already doing and who might be interested in doing them with you so that you are finding time within the context of the things that you are already doing or, or want to be doing. And what it also does for you is it takes it out of this purely professional and it starts to creep into that we are beyond professional relationship. And that's where that rooting of that relationship becomes so much stronger. And I will tell you the people who refer me again and again and again, and who bring me into the clients every time they move to a new company are the ones where I've really blurred that line. (laughs) Yeah, it, it, that's that's a really important skill set. Um, a friend of mine is a uh, is a is a surgeon, a plastic surgeon, and uh, and so she see she sees sales reps all the time for the different med devices and pharmaceuticals and all all the all the things you do in medicine, and um, and like she has she has she regularly goes to get her nails done with these reps or you know. You know, I guess lunch is kind of an, ob- an obvious one, but they they do things like you're talking about, and 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 uh, I think it really helps. De- like I, I see her as you know their customer, and like you know the, the 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 I'm like, of course you want to meet with that person because you know they when you meet with them, they're going to take you to get your nails done. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, it, I, I think that's a really powerful strategy for uh, for for sales reps to use is is find you know, cool things to do and things that are outside of the norm that, that everyone would enjoy and do those with your, your prospects and clients. And, uh, and I think that can really deepen the relationship. 
And, you know, you also want to think about um, it not being like, let's, let's go axe throwing or like, I'm going to boondoggle with you. It can be just really regular stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> because, well, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, she, she has to get her nails done anyway. So I'm sure she prefers to have someone else pay for it and have someone to go with and et cetera. And by the way, pedicures for men, you know, they're great. So, you know, this, <laughs> this is genderless here. <laughs> I, I, I had, I had uh, a pedicure once when I was in Thailand. It was, it was cool. It was, I was sitting <laughs> on the beach and they were coming around doing them. So I, I did it. I, I, I would recommend doing it again. <laughs> I, I have uh, convinced my husband that the spa is a wonderful place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess these things you're talking about work for other relationships too. Friends, um, yeah. spouses, parents. One thing I do, I, uh, I hang out with guy friends of mine often like doing like a workout together. Like we'll go running together or we'll go do the stairs or whatever, you know, hit, hit the gym, things like that. Um, and so you're kind of getting like, two things done at once, right? You're getting your workout in and you're, and you can do that with clients as well. If, Absolutely. if you have that kind of relationship. And that's where you find time because there is all that underutilized time, you know, and I, what I would also say is um, it could be, so one of the, the tactics Dory shares is what I call Dory dinners. She doesn't call them that. I call them that um, where she brings together a bunch of people that also would want to connect. So instead of having to do one-on-one and one-on-one and one-on-one, and I don't have this many hours in a day for this many nail appointments, what I could do is I can arrange a, um, a dinner and it could be everyone pays their own way, but I'm just going to bring everybody together so that we can have a, you know, a fun conversation and introduce people who I think would be, you know, interesting to um, meet. And I've been to a lot of these different dinners and different people host them. And there's usually some type of, um, you know, open time, but there's also some structured time where um, all 12 people at the table will be having one conversation. Um, you know, and so it's uh, facilitating a, a get together for no other purpose but to get together. There is no, it's not about business and sales and things like that. It is really just, um, and I don't want to call it a boondoggle because every time I think of that, I think about, you know, the sales rep throwing money around and I don't think it has to be that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I used to do a great job of this, you know, but, but it, it was about eight years ago when I started Badger that I stopped doing things like that. But I used to like set up dinners with people that were half networky, half friend. And, you know, I, I would, everyone would pay their own way. It was just kind of like I would structure it or, you know, um, but that was, that was great. And I, I, I think it's a great way to deepen relationships and meet people. I should really do that again. I've, uh, you know, running a company kind of took me, uh, took me down from a social perspective, but. But it know. made your connections more efficient, right? Because you were now, in one hour connecting with a half a dozen or a full dozen people rather than having to do that over 12 hours. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a great idea. And with coworkers, employees, anyway, you can, you can do this sort of thing with in, in anything. I mean, family get togethers. Um, to, what about social media? How does, how does, how can social media and other technology tools help salespeople expand and, and grow and maintain their connections? When I think about connecting, we connect over multiple channels. So one of the mindsets is being social and curious. And I'm very clear on not being a social butterfly and you don't have to be life of the party, um, but to be putting yourself in a situation in which you can be curious and social with at least one other person. 
and that channel could be online. And I think the more channels you connect over, the deeper that connection becomes. So there's people who I've never met. They, you know, through one media channel or another, their name kept popping up. They would like my post, they would comment my post, they would share my posts. Um, you know, they would send me a note in this, you know, direct message this or, or put a picture of me. So they found a way to engage to the point where I knew their names and felt really familiar with them, even though I might not never spoken to them. And then sometimes people did take it to the phone call. And the thing is now with that familiarity, which is one of the laws of likability, right? They were staying in my mind. They weren't getting in my face. And if they actually reached out to me and asked for something, I would be in a position to, to take that call because I know who they are. So I think social media is a phenomenal tool. What I would say is don't overdo it. And what I mean by that is there is, God, like 2,000 platforms out there. Pick three. You know, like pick one. Um, my favorite is LinkedIn. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and that's where I spend most of my time. Yes, I have a Twitter account. Yes, I have a Facebook account. Um, my son is building me an Instagram. Um, I apparently have about 300 followers. Woohoo! <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm very new on Insta. Um, but I have, you know, a five figure following on Twitter, but that's not where I spend my time. So I want you to think about where are the people that you want to connect with where's where are you spending your time anyway and just really engage there uh, so yes 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 to social media just just be selective yeah i I, uh, I couldn't agree more and and for me definitely you know i guess i mostly care about networking professionally and getting so linkedin is the is the obvious answer for me as well um my marketing team took over my Instagram account a long time ago, but, uh, so I'm, I've, I've got a presence on there too, but, uh, but I don't, I, I don't really go on there much. People are, people are always like, Oh, did you see this post? I'm like, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> but, uh, I hear Snapchat's been big with the kids too, but then, <laughs> and, and TikTok uh, yeah, I haven't now. I have gotten on that one yet. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Um, so, you know, we, uh, we all want to be likable and, and you, you wrote the book on it here. So specifically for field salespeople, what are your best thoughts about how they can be more likable to their prospects and customers? Well, we said earlier on, you can't make yourself likable, but you can understand and enable people to see that, that what is likable about you. So when you think about the laws of likability, where connection forms, uh, law of similarity, law of uh, association, right? What's the law of association? So it's a sub-law of similarity uh, where it's, uh, I trust people that have this common thing in common. So you and I went to the same school, law of association. You and I know the same person, right? So we have, you know, if A then B, if B then C, if A then C, you know, that, that logic triangle, that's the law of association at play with, with relationships. So if I have somebody reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm looking for that association of how did they find me? Are we in a group together? Did we go to the same school? Why are they reaching out to me? And by the way, anybody out there who's listening, feel free to reach out to me. Just say you heard me on this show. <laughs> um, 
you know, because I'm happy to connect, but you want to give somebody that reason. So um, when you are connecting with a, a prospect, go and look for those points of commonality. I will look through all the people we might have in common and be like, and I'll find the obscure person, right? Who's that person that just doesn't make any sense here? And then I'll say, how do you know Jeff Jones? I went to camp with him, you know? <laughs> and now you have a whole different conversation and there is where your connection forms. So what I always say, the, the first key to relationship networking is don't just talk about business. Talk, broaden the topics you talk about. Talk about anything because people don't connect on um, what I do. They connect on what I like to do, what uh, my shared values, shared interests, shared experiences, um, shared passions, shared causes. Right? That's where you want to bring a conversation to find connection. All right. Well, great advice. Next section I'd like to jump into is, is sales in 60 seconds. So quick questions, quick answers. Um, first question, right. what's the most common mistake salespeople make when it comes to networking and connecting? Always trying to make the sale. I know the, the ABC, always be closing, uh -uh, right? If somebody feels like you're selling too quickly, they are going to run in the other direction. So just be connecting, always be connecting. Don't always be closing. And uh, what's one way outside sales reps can find common ground and connect in a conversation? Curiosity. Ask questions about things you actually are interested in and see where that leads to. And do the dance between asking probing questions, not interrogating, and then sharing similar information so that you have kind of that exchange. And what's the key to stay in your customers' minds long after the initial meeting? That's the law of familiarity, right? You wanna stay in their mind, but not get in their face. You want to have light touches. Um, and a light touch is where we uh, reach out to them without an expectation of a response. That's the comment on a post, that's the happy birthday, that's the, oh, congratulations on your son's graduation, that's the, you know, hey, I was just thinking about you today and here wanted to send this, this article because it made me think of you. It's not asking for anything in return. Giving, giving value, yeah, that, that's always kind of been a philosophy of mine is just try to find ways in the world that you can create value and, and create that value and it all comes back in the end in some way, you know, it's like, Sales karma, I like to call it. <laughs> um, so should salespeople aspire to be super connectors or global super connectors, as you describe in your book? Um, there's no should in my world, right? So when you are higher up on the spectrum, the advantage is greater, right? So the results being faster, easier, better, they're going to be even faster, even easier, even better. Um, when you aspire to hit those echelons, what you're really um, enabling is when somebody needs something, you have the ability to help. And that, you know, kind of keeps you in this mindset, in this mix of being a connector, of bringing other people together. So the more people you know, the more you are able to do that. It is not a have to. Um, it is, it, you know, don't just collect people for the sake of collecting them. If you don't feel like you have capacity, then just stop where your capacity allows. And as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople who are listening today do as a first step 
to become better connectors? Um, well, they only oh, one thing. I mean, they can go take the quiz to see where they are. Um, they can connect with me because then, you know, there's one new connection right there. But let's give them homework. Let's say I want you to think about five people you want to strengthen a relationship with and just send them an email. And especially, you know, post COVID or hopefully we're not still in it when this airs, but just say, how are you holding up? Right? You know, and you might even say, thinking about you, no need to respond, hope you're holding up okay, here if you need me, right? Just a little reach out to five people who you might have lost touch with. This is just such a great time to reach back out. Great advice. Well, I'm going to attempt uh, to summarize everything you've said here, Michelle. Uh, so networking, networking is something that you do and being a connector is something that you are. A connector is someone who prioritizes relationships above all that they do. You can't make people like you, but you can enable people to see what's likable about you. When it comes to landing the client, people do business with the people that they like. Customers will do business with the people that they like without focusing on price or the product nearly as much because they will trust that this person will treat them right. You can become a better connector by initiating connections. You can ask people what they're working on. You can ask people how you can help. Once you're a great initiator, try connecting with people who are from different backgrounds than yourself. An example of this is at events, you could look for people who are not interacting with others and maybe they don't seem like they're a perfect fit or they, don't, they seem out of place and see if you can make a connection with them. Connectors build trust by doing what they say they'll do. So, um, which is one of the maxims of sales as well, right? Do follow up with what, with what you say and what you've promised you've done that you'll do. Uh, it's important to build boundaries and to be able to say no as well. Um, one way to do this is you can try saying no, but so no, but I could connect you with someone at your price point. Um, we have underutilized time in our lives that can be repurposed. So bring your customers into meetings that allow you to use your time even more, uh, this underutilized time. So examples would be try going to the gym with clients, going to the salon, going to lunch together, um, doing workouts together. And this will help you be more efficient with your time and at the same time build better relationships. When you're connecting with a prospect, look for commonalities. Um, another trick is to, when you're connecting with a new prospect or any person, don't just talk business, but look for people you know in common, shared interests, etc., and then build on that real human connection. Michelle, this has been fantastic. Where can our listeners read more about your work? How can they reach out to you? I'm just amazed. That was excellent summary. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and I would love to hear from all your listeners. And um, the best place to start is really my website, which is Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Tillis, T-I-L-L-I-S, Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. From there, you can get to my LinkedIn, you can get to my Twitter and Facebook, but it's my professional Facebook, not my personal one. Uh, so it's the like page. Um, you can buy my Instagram, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm new to that one. Uh, my YouTube channel, my blog, 
you can actually join my community and you will get the quizzes and some free chapters of the book and my video series and a lot of freebies because as we've been saying, I like to add value. So um, please connect with me. Fantastic. Well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If anyone can see or think of anyone uh, who's, who Michelle's uh, knowledge would be helpful for, please forward this episode to them. And Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the show. Take care until next, next time, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye.